This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in Internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself. Hello again and welcome to the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and once again, I'm extremely excited to be here with you. Um, and I have someone with me that I consider as a much better looking, skinnier brother from Adelaide. How are you, Paul Bindig? My brother, David, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and, and be with you again for part two of this Fun interview. Yes. So for those that were here last episode, we're, we're speaking with David Rosenthal from um, who's currently Billy Joel's keyboard player. But as I said, in part one has done a hell of a lot more than that. In this part two, we definitely dig into some other aspects of David's career um, right at the end. And please, this is not just a way to get you to stick through to the end, but he cu- regales us with what I would argue is one of the coolest train wrecks that he's saved so brilliantly that um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd, I'd be still reliving it years later, um, <laughs> let alone everything else he talks about. So yeah, we'll think you'll enjoy part two a lot. So let's get into it. You mentioned right at the start when you were, you were playing in Rainbow, which was, you know, pre all of this tech. Um, and when you see it using the OBXA and it was exciting to have patch memory and that sort of thing. I'm wondering if we can take you back to uh, when you were a younger man and Rainbow was, uh, you know, my understanding, pretty much your first big gig and obviously a very big gig at it was, that. It was the first big gig, yeah. Yeah. Now, my, my understanding of that was that was a real cattle call style audition, like, you know, a lot of uh, players auditioning. And I, I'm curious as to... Did you ever get feedback on what it is that, that made you stand out and how, how were you able to win that gig? Sure. Well, it's, uh, yeah. So it was a cattle call thing. I, I had heard uh, from a friend at Berkeley of, who knew a friend of Richie's that he was looking for keyboard players. So I, I sent him a, a cassette showing my age, but it was a cassette of my uh, cover band at the time playing a bunch of progressive rock uh, tunes that we used to cover. Uh, and on one side of the tape and the other side was my, uh, my uh, classical senior classical recital from Berkeley, which was all lit pieces and uh, you know really complex uh, pieces, and I sent that because I knew that Richie was into classical. Uh, so uh, so that's that's what in, uh, it, he his ears perked up when he heard that combination, and that's why he invited me to audition. So I went down there with my keyboards that I had at the time. I, I did certainly did my homework. Step one was okay. Rainbow has five albums out or six albums out already with three or four different keyboardists. So I'm going to really listen to this carefully and see what do these different keyboardists have in common stylistically, because that's obviously what Richie likes in a keyboard player. So that was that was step one. And, and to wrap my head around, you know, what what he was 
possibly about because I'd never met him before. Um, and uh, so I did that. And then I brought my keyboard rig at the time, which was a Farfisa. I'm a broke musician at Berkeley. I had no money. I had a Farfisa organ. I had a Fender Rhodes and a Roland SH-1000 um, uh, synth. So I bring that stuff with me because that's that's what I knew. And I was prepared to to, to do the songs uh, uh, they, that they had asked me to learn. I don't remember what they were, but uh, uh, so I get down there with my stuff and then, uh, you know, they say, OK, well, that's nice that you have that stuff, but we want you to play Richie's stuff. And he has, you know, he has a B3 and he has a mini Moog and a clavinet and all the sounds that that, you know, that he liked and that were common on rainbow records that, you know, so I said, okay, now I'd never played any of these keyboards before. I knew how they operated theoretically because I had studied, you know, but I'd never played a B3 before. I'd never played a mini Moog before or a clavinet. Uh, but I went up there and I just kind of went for it. And a lot of the first day was, was jamming and stuff with, you know, Richie would he, he immediately picked up that 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 I was good at, you know, answering his riff. He would play me a riff and I would play it back on the mug. And and and, you know, he would show and, and then he he came up with a couple of riffs and, he, you know, which he would show to me. And, you know, let's let's try jamming on this. And I would learn it right away. And so he liked that. Um, but about well, I'll get to that part of the story in a minute. So anyway, so that that all that the, the first day went really well. And uh, and that earned me a callback. So so for the next day, it was between me and one other guy. And they decided that they were going to have uh, each give each of us a three hour slot. And Richie would then choose between the two of us. And uh, so I was given the the evening slot, which was and the other guy would be in the afternoon, which gave me the whole next day to okay, what can I do to get an edge here? So I got on the phone to all the Sam Ashes on Long Island, which is where the audition was, and I and I found one that had a mini Moog on the floor because it was still kind of current. And I hopped in my car and went there and made friends with the salesman. told told him what my situation was, and he said, "Go over and." you know, gave me a set of headphones and I sat there and I worked on the mini mogul all afternoon. So when I went back for my callback, I was now able to get a whole bunch of patches. I had a feel for what he was looking for. So again, any way that you can get an edge in these situations. Um, so they heard a difference in the sounds I was getting from one day to the next. And I found out uh, a year later, Roger Glover told me that, you know, that there was one key point aside from all these other things, there was one key point that really, uh, nailed the gig for me and and that was that during my callback thing he said uh uh he said okay so let's imagine we're on stage now in front of twenty thousand people and richie just broke a string there's nothing happening on stage you have to fill space go okay so i just started playing something i played a, like a riff thing on the hammond and then i did a few solos on the mini mug and just just played some things and then i played did something funky on the clavinet whatever I didn't think anything of it, but Roger told me a year later, he said, I was the only guy that actually played. He said, everybody else that they asked that of had a different excuse as to, oh, don't worry about me. I'll have something ready if that happens. And oh yeah, I'll work something up. I'll be ready if that happens. And he said, I, I was the only guy that just started playing and I thought nothing of it. I was asked to play, so I played, you know, uh, so, so, uh, but he's, I guess they were looking to see if I was fearless or if I would crack under pressure or however you want to put it. But yeah. um, so I thought nothing of it at the time, but that was one of the things that, that, that helped me to, to, to go with it. And then I also found out later that, uh, cause I was 20 years old when I, when I auditioned and got the gig and uh, the manager thought I was too young. 
to, to, to go on the road and to do this. And Richie was like, no, he's my guy. I, 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 I'm okay with it. I think he's going to be great and he can do it. And they had, I found out later, had a big argument about it. Uh, and I'm, thankfully Richie won the argument and, and I got the gig and I ended up in the band. <laughs> yeah. It's just an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it, David. Uh, sure. What was it like for a, a young man, uh, as you said, of only 20 and, and for the next few years, because uh, I mean, you were you were in Rainbow when it would really was at its peak from a commercial success point of view. So yeah. you would have been playing big shows, and uh, for for our listeners and viewers, you can you can look at there's there's some some film you can see on YouTube of the, the band playing in San Antonio, and uh, you can see uh, David doing some some really cool stuff uh, in introductions to songs and very impressive very impressive work there. But but I mean. Was that mind blowing for you at such a young age to be to be part of something so big and so successful? I think if I would have thought about it, my mind blo- might have been blown. But I, I, you can't think about it; you just you just do. And and I, you know, I was I, I had done the record within the Straight Between the Eyes album. Richie and I really connected musically uh, at that time. I made that album when I was twenty, and then the tour started when I was when I was twenty one. The next year, and um, you know. Uh, I went back and learned the catalog and all the stuff that he wanted to play. And, and I really get what, what, what he was looking for and what he wanted in a keyboard. And it was very natural for me. It wasn't like I was trying to be something that I wasn't, I have rock and roll running through my veins. It's, you know, I grew up on it and, and it was very, very natural for me to get those kinds of sounds. And, and I had a good time doing it and I just kept, doing okay i gotta learn these songs and and now we're gonna play in front of twenty thousand people here and we're gonna do this and and you just you, you know look it was it was a whole lot of fun don't get me wrong but i really i really never had a chance to stop and and reflect uh but i think as life goes on and i look back on that time period you know the more years i get away from it and it gets further in the rearview mirror the more i appreciate it uh how 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 much fun it was and how lucky I was to get a break at, at, at such a young age and to have an opportunity like that at such a young age. Um, because I, I know so many other musicians, brilliant players, great, uh, you know, just great musicians who never got that one opportunity to, to go out and show themselves on a, on a world stage or, uh, you know, in, in, in a really big gig. And it's, you know, it's not from a lack of musicianship. It's just, they just never got the opportunity. So I don't take anything for granted. I, I, I'm very, very lucky that I got a chance to do that. And, and, and that Richie, I'm grateful to him to this day that he took a chance on a 20 year old kid um, and gave me, and gave me a shot uh, because all the rest of my career might not have happened the way it did if I didn't have that one first uh, opportunity to get out and, uh, and uh, and do what I do. So uh, I don't take anything for granted. I'm very grateful for him to the to him, you know, to this day for that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny, um, and and certainly you do need a, a, an amount of good fortune. But your story reminds me a bit of uh, Gary Player, the, the the South African golfer, is is saying that the harder I work, the luckier I get. Because clearly there's a message there about preparation and and leaving no yes. stone unturned if you really want to go for something as well, which I think is important. Well, I think that's a recurring theme as it's been, you know, throughout my career is that preparation and over preparation and, and, and just really just putting everything I have into every opportunity to be the best at it. Uh, so such that when that, that you make the most of whenever, whenever an opportunity does come along, because when you do get that call for an audition and this is, this is for all young players out there and applies to everybody. When you do get a call, you're not going to have enough time to prepare. 
So the prep has to take place in the downtime and in the time when you when you're home and you have extra time. That's when you learn a new synth. That's when you work on a new style of playing. That's when you do stuff and you continue to grow because when you get that call, you won't have enough time to prepare. You just have to go for it. So, uh, you know, that's sort of been my uh, my MO as I uh, as as I've gone through all the different opportunities in my career, and and uh, and I think you know as 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 the snowball goes down the mountain and and it begins to grow and and you continue to network and more people uh, get to know who you are, then then more opportunities come about. But getting those initial ones is uh, you know is is an invaluable opportunity that when you get it, you you, you got to nail it when when you do get the chance. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's an invaluable piece of advice for, for, for anyone I think yeah, wanting to pursue this this uh, this sort of world or in you know in any aspect of life. David, you made me you made me think of a question we ask all our guests when you were talking about the the fact you said one of the key things that that got you the gig was you were asked, hey, if, if all of a sudden uh, Richie couldn't play, what would you do? And and you you had an answer for them. Can you share with us in you know all your all your years of playing and touring and various shows you've done? Uh, maybe a, a, a technical or otherwise or musical train wreck that that may have occurred, and and what happened? How did you deal with it? Well, it's funny. Um, you know, when train wrecks happen, and they all happen, they happen to everybody. Anyone who says it's never happened to them is lying. You know, it's 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 it happens to everybody, and and what's the difference is how you handle it. You know, and 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 keeping your cool and keeping your head uh, going, and uh, and what you know, what 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 am I going to do to get out of this? You know, if it's something personal or with with the band, um, uh, there was one time when I when I remember the uh, on the Enrique Iglesias tour, and uh, and uh, now that tour, this was Enrique's first tour. Uh, and he already was 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 a big uh, Latin pop sensation, but he was still singing in Spanish at that point in his career. We played mostly and we toured mostly in South America and Spain and, and also in the U.S. And the girls would just scream in the audience like 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 it was like the Beatles or something. They would just go crazy. And it was like 95 percent screaming teenage girls and 5 percent complaining boyfriends. <laughs> you know? uh, it was 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 his audience. So when when he would come out on stage and he would sing, the scream was all high pitched. There was no low end in 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 it because there was no 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 guys out there, uh, and um, so it was it was sometimes definitely definitely loud to the point where you couldn't even hear what you were playing, and um, so he had this uh, this uh, uh, you know ramp that he would go out in the, into the front of the audience, and there was this one point in the show he would go out there and he was singing, and the screaming was so loud that he, I think, lost his place where he was. And he came in one beat displaced. And he was, he was, uh, I have to think about whether he's one beat ahead or behind. I think he was, um, he was one beat ahead of us. And we're all looking at each other and he didn't, he really didn't know. He was just singing and he had no idea that he was in a different place. So I looked around to the band and I was, I'm thinking, okay, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We can't, we can't keep going like this, but he has no idea. He has his back to us. He's looking at the crowd. And I turned around to the band and I went bar five. And, and so that's, that's what we did. I went like this bar five and mouth the words. And Chuck Berge was the drummer on that. And he's, he's a phenomenal drummer. And he just did a fill. He set it up, made it really obvious where the new downbeat was. And the whole band just shifted and all of a sudden, Enrique was in the right place. 
That is and, awesome. Yeah. And he never knew. We told him after the show, he didn't know because he was lost in the moment. And, and, and so something like that, it was like, wow, that's like, you know, that's just like decades of experience with everybody in the band combined to have the presence of mind to hear, okay, he's there. And, you know, it doesn't matter where, where, you know, it doesn't matter where the artist is. The artist is always right. You know, and we, as, as, as sidemen in the band have to, fix whatever you have to do to make the artist be in the right place. doesn't matter if, you know, the artist is in the wrong place. He has to now be in the right place. So anyway, that, that was a really, really magical moment that, 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 that I very much uh, remember. Another okay. situation would be, uh, would be when we were in, uh, 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 trying to think. I have to think about that. Actually, that, that, that's the one that stuck out in my mind the most. Uh, I have to think about another one. You know, sometimes there's a train wreck that's just so bad that you just have to stop and start well, again. I was about to, I'd argue you, the train was about to go off the tracks with that Enrique one and you totally, it was probably even lurching over on its side and you single-handedly righted the train. I think that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was that was a that was a cool moment. Um, yeah. If you th if the other one comes back to you, David, we'll jump back to it. But um, in, in the introduction to the show, uh, we we mentioned all of the great artists, and you've mentioned a number of them. So as a, a producer, orchestrator, keyboard player, without putting you too much on the spot, can you think of five artists that have really uh, rewarded you most as a, a as one of those roles, whether it's keyboard player, orchestrator, producer, whatever it is? Sure. Um, well. I, I would say I'd have to go back to my my earliest uh, influences, which I made some notes because you asked me this question in advance. I thought I better I better have some notes, some thoughts ready for this. These guys are serious here. <laughs> so because I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to forget something. I'd say the bands that the artists that I, I the artists that had the biggest influence on me as a young musician certainly yes was a was a big influence on me. Uh, Close to the Edge is one of my all time favorite albums. Um, ELP had a big uh, uh, Keith Emerson had a big influence on me. Um, Rush, uh, Moving Pictures is one of my favorite albums of all times. Um, uh, I'd say, but 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 getting back to the reason I got my first synth was when the first time I heard Tomita, and uh, um, I was at music camp uh, and uh, you know, for summer, and it was like you know total immersion, and they had a big Moog modular there, and I was like, wow. That looks really cool. And then the and then the uh, the teacher played uh, pictures at an exhibition by Tomita, and I was like, that was just it. Just spoke to me. I was like, this is what I want to do. I have to learn how to do this. And I immediately went and started messing around with the module. I didn't know anything yet, but uh, uh, and I was also at the same time just starting to get turned on to bands like Yes that were using synths live, and also uh, Uriah Heep was an early influence on me. Ken Hensley, he had a mini Moog at B three, and he was he was a big influence on me uh, in my younger years. And I and I was already starting to hear about how synths could work in rock environments, but I had but I had and 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 pop, but I had no idea the 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 um, depth of the palette of sounds, which is infinite, which Tomita took to the, to the nth degree and, uh, and, and just did everything with it. And um, so that's, and then, and then I, and I, that's what inspired me to save up for my first synth, which was a, 
a Roland SH-1000. And uh, I just, I wanted to learn how to do that. But Tomita was a big, big influence on me, not only in terms of, of, of wanting to do that, but in, in listening, I listened to his albums thousands of times with headphones and, and, and cause he was a master, not only of synthesis, but a, a recording engineer as well. And, and he was doing things in that day, you know, things would uh, pan around your head and go up and down and go behind you. And, and he was doing all of this, phase relationship things to make things move around the stereo field that nobody was doing at that time. And people are just starting to get a grasp of it now. Um, and, uh, and his albums still hold up in terms of the way they were recorded and, and, and the spatiality and, and, and the depth of field and all just the whole combination of everything. So he had this combination of being a recording engineer, a synthesis, a synthesis, and also a master musician because he was playing these really complicated scores. That really spoke to me. Yeah, no, and and so for you, oh, that's amazing insight. And so for you, once you were a professional musician yourself, which of the artists you've worked with have you then continued to learn from? So the ones you've directly worked with, uh, all of them. I learn something okay. from every book that I do. You know, uh, you know, every day's a school day. I like to say that. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I've learned different things from all the artists that I've worked with. And, uh, um, yeah, one of my other biggest influences that I wanted to mention, too, was Happy the Man. And uh, two of my favorite albums of all time were their first album and their second album. Uh, the first one was called Happy the Man, second one called Crafty Hands. And I was lucky enough to play with them years later when they did a reunion and uh, the original keyboard player didn't want to do it. But I used to, Kit Watkins, the original keyboard player, I transcribed all of his solos and and learned all of the parts and then when I, you know, when they wanted to redo a reunion and, and Kit didn't want to do it, I was, I had made friends with the guys over the years. I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, and uh, so, uh, you know, I got together with them and had a chance to play some of my favorite, uh, you know, material of all times. And then, and then got a chance to, to make a record with them, which was really cool. Yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. And as far as um, someone that has the pleasure of playing with you now, David, what, what um, do you think you could pass on to them or they could learn from you? You know, what, what tips would you pass on to anyone out there that's either wanting to get into the industry or, you know, wanting to develop their skills further? Well, Music is a is is a collaborative thing, you know, especially when you play in a band, and the, you know the, the the types of collaborations that you can have and the types of connections you can have with different musicians are, are infinite. So so I enjoy every playing experience that I get into, and I've been fortunate to play with some of the best musicians in the world. You know, so many of them. I'm just so lucky with that. And there's always something to be learned, and always some magical moment to be created that you never know what's going to happen. So uh, I, I go into each moment that uh, and each opportunity like that, a playing opportunity with, with, with a clean slate and an open mind and, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, just a, a fresh, a freshness of let's, let's see what happens, you know, in, in, with this. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of my appreciation for those types of spontane spontaneous moments has come from working with Billy, who was all about spontane spontaneity. And, um, you know, even songs sometimes that we've never really played. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll run a verse and a chorus and he'll just stop. And he's like, ah, that we got it. I don't want to take the edge off of that one. <laughs> so, you know, we don't even run the whole song. Uh, and and uh, but but he has faith. In, in the musicians that he's surrounded himself with. We have, we have an amazing band and, and, and it's a band of, 
players who are not just good players, but all players who know how to play in a band, which is different than just being a good musician. Um, and uh, so so we're really fortunate to have a complete unit of everyone that really gets gets it and, and how to play together and how to play as a unit. Um, and uh, so that's 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 really cool. And that that gets us through a lot of those spontaneous moments. And uh, whereas, you know, his Billy's philosophy is, hey, if, if there were nobody in the audience and we were just jamming in somebody's garage, we would just go for it and and just play great together. Just do that. And that's what we do. And that's what care. Forget about that. We have 20,000 people up there out there. Just play and, 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 and just go for it. And once you eliminate that, 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 um, that sort of wall that some to some musicians put up between them and the audience, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Just go up there and do what you do and have fun with it. And it's going to come out great. I think that attitude must really free you guys up to to really create a, a fun energy and an enjoyable energy, which then the, the crowd picks up on that anyway, whether it's no one in the garage or 20,000 people in, in Madison Square Garden. Exactly. They, and, and the audience really does pick up on that, the fact that we're really up there doing it, you know. Yeah. And, you know, and Billy sometimes says, hey, if you know, we're going to try this song. We haven't played it in years, but, you know. If, uh, if 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 you'll know if we screw up, it's that it's authentic and we're not on, we're not on tape and we're really up here doing it. And the audience gets gets a kick out of that, and, and I think they they sense that the the, uh, the 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 realism that we're really up there doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, David was just asking you before about uh, you know people you've uh, who've influenced you and who you've admired along the journey. Uh, another question we always ask our guests is uh, for this podcast. If, if there would be someone we could interview that maybe is someone that you, you look up to or admire, would love to see interviewed uh, on this show, who would that be? Who would, who would you tag for us to, uh, to chat to like we are to you today? Oh, that's tough. Um, because you guys have influenced, you've already interviewed so many great musicians. And I, I, I look down the list of all the amazing players that, that you've uh, interviewed many of whom I know, but uh, some of them who I didn't, I, and I, I started listening to it. It's a, it's a deep library. Wow, I'd have to uh, I'd have to think about that. I, I don't know. I think you, you guys have covered all the biggest ones, uh, as far as I can tell. We have now. Now that we've spoken to you, we David. have now. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you say all the right things. <laughs> uh, no, that's no, that's more than reasonable, David. It's it's, it's hard one to do on the spot. Um, another one of our uh, regular segments is the quick fire ten. So this is where we ask ten very quick fire questions and and get as short an answer um, out of you as possible. So um, we'll, we'll kick off with that and we'll start with you, Paul. Okay, the first question is Madison Square Garden or Yankee Stadium? Madison Square Garden. Uh, Sitting on, yeah, go for it. Oh, no, oh, oh for you, it. Don't want, you want it, just one no, quick no, answer? No, 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 that's okay. No, because I'd be interested because in, I know Yankee Stadium's a, a huge, um, uh, you know, Billy's a huge fa fan of that place as well. So no, interest in the rationale. Sure. Well, well, I actually, I, I haven't played Yankee Stadium. Uh, Billy did that before I was in the band, but I did play many other baseball stadiums and Fenway Park and Wrigley Field and all these very famous places. And I'm a big baseball fan. So so it's a big deal to play in those places. But Madison Square Garden, there's something unique about that place, uh, the energy in it. And also the fact uh, I, 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 I much as I love doing the big giant stadium shows because it's just it's just bigger than life. When we play in an arena, you know, we sell behind the stage. So so you have this feeling like we're in the crowd when we play. Um, and uh, so you so you the energy sort of en envelops 
us, you know, of, of the crowd. They're all around you. And, and when you play in a stadium, it's so huge that there's a little bit more of an us and them feeling, um, you know, so, so I like, I like the, 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 you know, the, the um, uh, you know, being in sort of that, that in the crowd. And also another thing about Madison Square Garden, that's, that's, that's really interesting. The place is actually built on springs and uh, because it's over the train station and, so what happens when 20,000 people start jumping in time and dancing in time with the music, the whole place starts literally going like this. And we feel it on the stage. And it's really weird. The first time it's like, what is that? The place is going to collapse, but it's actually built to do that. Uh, and, and, but, but it actually, the, the place actually shakes and moves in time with the music. It's pretty, pretty amazing experience. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Um, sitting or standing when playing David, Sitting when I'm playing piano, standing when I'm playing keyboards. Perfect. Uh, keytars, sexy or an abomination? Uh, both. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it's really fun to to be able to be mobile and and play and play that thing, but they they also can look kind of geeky. Only a handful of people have ever really made it look cool uh, to to actually come out and do that. So I think it has the potential to be both. <laughs> uh, trans, I think I know the answer to this, but transpose button or adjust on the fly. Oh, I, I, I can't do transpose buttons because I have perfect pitch. So, so that's, it's a blessing and a curse when it comes to transpositions. Um, so, uh, no, I, you know, when, when we, we do some of the songs with Billy down a half step and some of them are down a whole step and, and I'm actually playing them in the other key. So it's, uh, it, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's a time. So, so David, this is my chance to ask you um, because I, I had heard that anyone who has perfect pitch, things like transpose functions and that create massive dysmorphia. So this is true. It's really, really difficult to deal with. Well, see, what happens is there's there's a correlation between what you hear and what you're playing, you know. And so when I'm playing uh, a C chord, I'm hearing the notes in a C chord at the same time. Now, if I play a C chord, but I'm hearing a B chord, there's a high probability that the next chord I'd go to, I may move to the wrong chord. And you know what I mean? And then if the keyboard is transposed, it's, there's your train wreck. <laughs> so, because yeah, yeah. I'm also, I'm also hearing when, you know, uh, I, I worked very hard to, to, to really develop my relative pitch as well. So when I'm playing, you know, a rock tune, I'm hearing not only is the next, let's say I'm playing a C and the next chord is F, I'm hearing not only is the next chord F, but it's also it's the four chord. So if yeah. I'm if I'm hearing, uh, you know, I'm hearing a B and the next and but I'm playing a C and I know the next chord is the four chord. My hand, there's possibly might go to an E. Yeah. And 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 thus the train wreck. So that that's why it's it's just too risky. It's too much of a, you know. Uh an abomination for the brain to try to keep track of that at the same time when you're trying to play the song correctly and, and play it with a good feel. So, so that's why, that's why I don't use the transpose button. Makes, makes, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Thank you. Your favorite Billy Joel song. Uh, that's a tough one, man. Uh, I, I don't have a single favorite. There, there's so many good ones. I would say amongst the favorites would be scenes from an Italian restaurant uh, that's a fun one to play because it's got so many different parts of the song. Um, Angry Young Man is 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 a blast to play. Uh, that 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 one. Um, 
but there's so many great songs to to listen to. Uh, you know, uh, even if we're not playing them, uh, Leningrad, Vienna. Um, uh, I, I mean, I can go on and on. So, so the, the long answer is no. I can't pick a single favorite. Uh, I, I, it would probably have to be a top ten or top twenty. Even uh, there's there's just such a wealth of great material there. Here's a hard one, David. Well, a lot of our guests find it hard. Last gig you attended as an audience member. Actually, uh, was fairly recently. Uh, I saw Kansas uh, because my good friend Tom Brislin is is the keyboard player who I know that you've interviewed. Uh, and I yeah. listened to that interview as well. Um, and uh, so that was kind of fun. And uh, I always enjoy you know, seeing, uh, first of all, they were fantastic. I was, I was a big, uh, Kansas fan back in the day and I, they sound amazing. Uh, Tom's done a wonderful job with the keyboards and, and really, really, uh, uh, it, the whole, whole thing works great. That was the most recent show that I'd seen. Um, when it was just a few weeks ago. So I, I, that's why it's fresh in my mind. Uh, I do go to shows once in a while. Uh, and, and I, and I really do enjoy them. Oh, I'd say one of the best, you know, biggest shows of course was Pink Floyd, the wall. Uh, I'm a big Pink Floyd fan. And I was one of the lucky few who got to see the original wall show back in 1979 or whenever it was. So I saw that. And then I saw the new version of it, you know, with, uh, uh, the modern version. And it's just, that's just, it's not even a concert. It's just a spectacle. It's, it's an event. That's just, just really some, you know, something that everybody, I hope, got the chance to see because it's really a, a, an amazing amazing it's a, show. a stunning a stunning undertaking uh, no, no question about it amazing yeah. thank you um so your your favorite thing about live gigs as a as a player as a performer i think i think the 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 moment of it just just being in the moment of of playing music in front of a live audience no matter how many people are out there there's 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 an, an energy that you get an exchange between the musicians and the crowd. However many people are there, you still feel that. And there's an adrenaline that you get from live performance that if they could ever figure out a way to put that in a vial and sell it, it'd be the most popular drug of all time. <laughs> you know, it's there's something very, very unique about it. And uh, and and somewhat addicting that, you know, you want it. You want to go back and you want to play again in front of people and uh uh, I, I, it just, it just never gets old. I, I, I really, I, I really love it, you know. And the worst thing about live gigs, if there's any, when your gear doesn't work properly, that's you know, people often ask, do you get nervous? And the answer is, as long as my gear's working, no, I don't get nervous. I love being up there. I love playing, you know. And I can, I, if I make a mistake, I can play my way out of just about anything that could happen. And and, uh, but the real challenge is when 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 the gear's not working, and how you going to get out of that? And uh, and and how you going to get through the next moment? And you know, nowadays with modern technology, I've been able to to have a safety net by having two keyboard rigs running simultaneously. Two computers, they're both running real time. And only one set of outputs is going to front of house. So if there's an issue or, you know, I can just switch over to the other one and I motion to my keyboard tech to restart the A rig while I play on the B rig or vice versa. And in an extreme situation, should both of them go down, I actually have an emergency backup there. I have my, my Kurzweil where I have enough patches in there to get through a show. That's my C rig. If both computers were to go down, um, and I can I could get through a song. And if that were to go down, <clears throat> then I have my organ. I have a B, um, the uh, uh, XK5 uh, Hammond 
through a Leslie that intentionally does not have a MIDI cable on it. So if my whole MIDI system blows up, I can play organ. <laughs> you know, there's there's always something that that I can get through a song and 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 uh, and find with. But but I'm able to do all that because of modern technology. In the old days, if a keyboard went down, it was down. That was it. I had to do the rest of the show without it. And you hope to get it fixed for the next show. So well, you, uh, could, you could get you could get rid of that other tryhard off his piano. <laughs> well no he's his piano's got to work all the time and it's uh yeah, so there's backup right. systems for yeah. that too yeah but uh oh here that's one of the train wrecks that i meant to, that reminds me i don't oh, mean to for it. up the flow of this other thing this wasn't a, it was an interesting thing we, but we were played in rome uh at the Colosseum. And this was a surreal experience because, you know, we're, we're set up right outside the Coliseum it was a free concert, something like a half million people because it was it was free and everybody came and uh, they, they it was it was people a sea of people as long as you can see. And right behind me is the Coliseum all lit up. And I'm thinking, wow, they used to have, you know, uh, gladiators there inside there. And then here I am with this modern keyboard rig right outside here It was really an interesting juxtaposition of 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 time periods but in any event the, the what the story i wanted to tell we were on it we had a circular stage and brian adams was was the opener so what they do a lot of times in these big concerts where there's so many people that you don't want to have any downtime between acts you want it to change quickly so they had this rotating turntable and brian adams was set up and we were set up behind it so that when he would finish they would uh turn the stage and literally within a few minutes time we would come on and the concert would just keep going and, and so on and so forth. So Brian finished his set and we came on and, you know, they, they were they, rather they turned the turntable. We came on stage and we start playing the first song and we're off and running and everything goes. And one of the uh, crew guys went, oh, we made it and leaned against the button to turn the turntable and <laughs> not knowing. And all of a sudden we're in the first song and the thing starts turning and and the cables were popping out, you know, it's because there's only so much play on the cables. So Billy's piano went out and and then and then his microphone went out and he kind of just went like this. So we, we had to stop. There was no there was no alternative. Fortunately, it was it was fortunately none of the cables actually snapped. They had just kind of come out. But we actually had to stop. And the crew swarmed the stage, found, figured out what happened, put the turntable back into its correct position and reconnected everything. And and Billy just said, you know, he laughed about it and we we, we all had a good laugh. And and uh, he said, let's just pick up from where we left off. And he just started playing the song right where we are. And we all came in and, and we just kept on going. Um, and uh, but but that was that was an interesting moment because we didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, grace under fire there i'd say from from you and from the crew very <laughs> very impressive <Yeah. laughs> um what would be one thing that you would love to see invented that would make your life easier as a keyboard player uh instant restart and load computers i wish Very i wish a, yeah. i wish a computer could turn on like a synth powers on you just flip the switch and in two or three seconds you're ready to go um that would be great because it it takes you know in my opinion an eternity to restart a computer and reload and 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 reset its state to get back to where you were in gig mode, um, and and that's that's it's frustrating to have to go there. I mean computers can crash; they're computers. It happens. You know, no matter how stable your system is, it still can happen. Um, but but the time it takes to get back, even as fast as computers are, the time it takes to get back to where you were is, is frustrating. 
Um, oh, great but answer. That, oh, thank you. Uh, so uh, other than that, I don't know what the future holds. And that's the excitement about it. Um, you know, uh, who could have predicted MIDI would come along? You know, who could have predicted in the, even in the early days of, of, of computers, like in 1986, 1987, I got my first Mac Plus and, and I was doing a few little things, dabbling in music, but whoever th could think that I could one day run my entire keyboard rig from a computer and have a backup of it, you know, in, 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 in this much space, in, in one rack, you know, that was inconceivable. So who knows what's still to come that's inconceivable. That's right. No, no, great answer. And last one in the quick fire 10, favourite non-musical activity or hobby? When you do get away from all this, David, anything that you just love doing to to reset? Well, you know, music is my profession, but it's my hobby also, you know, so so I, I spend a lot of time with it. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I do enjoy just... Uh, just relaxing in the outdoors and stuff like that, because I spend, you know, the bulk of my life, I have spent the bulk of my life when I'm not performing in, in, even though I have a, a wonderful studio here, it's basically a submarine, you know, and, and you're inside. Uh, so it's nice to get out of it, uh, uh, out of that from time to time. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and do some, do other things. So I think with, with age, I'm, I still work very hard, but I've I've learned to work smarter, and I can get more done in less time now than I than I used to, and uh, and and I think that that's that's helped so that I can actually divide my day to be between doing really productive music or, or creativity or whatever it is that I'm doing, and then not do it for a little while. This is kind of a new experience because <laughs> right, I would no, I would always just work all the time. Yeah, no, that's excellent, and. Um... David, I think it's a testament to your career, and uh, I'm sure there's uh, many, many more years of it to come. It's a testament to your your career, the fact that we've talked for nearly an hour and 20 minutes, and I still feel like we've only scratched the surface, but I can't can't thank you enough for taking the time. Um, uh, looking forward to seeing you down under, you know, at the end of the year. Sadly, neither of us are close to Melbourne, but um, can't thank you enough for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. It's been, been fun. You guys ask great questions and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun chatting with you guys. So there we go, Paul. That's the end of our two-parter with David Rosenthal. How good was that? Oh, amazing. That, that was, I'm, I'm sure everyone who's listening and or watching to this would would agree uh, it just comes across as you know we say this every time but yeah you know, what a what a generous kind guy told some great stories it, it was quite inspirational in parts too didn't you think david yeah it was it, it's enough i mean you, you can be um what would you call it um intimidated by david's talent but he's absolutely the opposite of intimidating he yeah he, He's an incredible player, but he's humble and understands the importance of putting in the the hard yards yeah. to do what you need to do. So yeah, I found that alone inspiring. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I was it was a lot of fun, and and I'm pleased uh, we were able to, to spend a bit more time with him and, and get the two parts in. And you know, thanks thanks to David for being so generous with yeah. with his time and thoughts. And I'm determined just in my little cover band to try and get a, a to orchestrate a a situation where I can call in a five five beat bar. Oh, look, you, you were doing seven beats, nine beats before you, before you know it. Hey, I've got a question for you, David, without notice. Yeah. What's your favourite Billy Joel song? You know, 
there, and I'm struggling to think of the name of it. It's off the rib, believe it or not, his last originals album, which is River of Dreams. Oh, yeah. And, there, and there's this great song where he talks about um, sort of the industrial, not the industrialization, like the the urbanization of of normal life and um like one of the key lines is when the lights go down in zombie town and i'm damned if i can think of the name of the song but it it was now released um coming up to 30 years ago yeah and is still as topical today every single line of that song is incredible it's one of my exercise songs and i go this still resonates today so people that think of billy joel as the guy that talks about love and and New York, he's got some incredibly political songs um, that uh, said still have currency today. So I just wish I could remember the name. But anyway, yeah, I, I must admit I'm not familiar with that one. I'll, I'll put a link Maybe in the show notes. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean he's got so many good songs, hasn't he? I, I'm rather partial to Captain Jack. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I I really do like that one of the older ones, but but. Um, you could probably you could probably throw a dart at a dartboard and and I'd, you That's know, a thing. It's, it's amazing music, isn't it? That's a thing. And I, I mean, I still remember being in Year Seven at high school, and my English teacher as our poetry elective, um, running us through "Goodnight Saigon." Ah, oh, I mean, yeah. just incredible song. But yeah, so no. What an enlightened English teacher you had, David. She look, and I st- believe it or not, we still keep in touch to this day. That's uh, how, how much good, of, how great she is, and how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> Big shout out to you, Merrin. I know you don't watch this. Um, <laughs> all right, so we'll, we'll wrap it up there. So again, a quick shout out to our gold and silver supporters. Um, Greg at the Core Chrome user group on Facebook. Greg, love your work. Um, Tammy Catcher of Tammy's Musical Stew. Tammy, we'd be lost without you, as would we. the musicplayer.com forums and brother Paul Brown from the Waterboys, um, all key supporters that we hugely appreciate. Thank you for your support. So we'll be back again in two to three weeks. Paul, I'm, a, I'm actually going to Canada and the US and going to see a few gigs. Sadly, not interviewing anyone at this stage, although I did try, but um, we will be back in a few weeks. Um, our website is www.keyboardchronicles.com. Just a quick mention, like last episode, we do have a merchandise section there that helps keep this whole shebang afloat. Um, there's about, I think, 60 or 70 different items you can choose from there as far as uh, digital art that can go on studio walls, t-shirts. Believe it or not, Paul, shower curtains. Oh well, you, you want look, a synthesizer on your shower curtain? Keyboardchronicles.com is the place to go. I, you know, this is. I always say my best ideas come when I'm standing in the shower. So if I could have some inspirational look, synthesizer shower curtains, imagine the music I could write. And there's even bath mats, so you could have a synthesizer bath mat and shower curtain. What bathroom <laughs> that'd be? Um, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash keyboard chronicles, Twitter at the keyboard chr1, and instagram.com forward slash keyboard chronicles. Um, and good old fashioned email as always, editor at keyboardchronicles.com. Quick shout out for Patreon that does also help keep the boat afloat, uh, at patreon.com forward slash keyboard chronicles. Paul, you're a legend. It's late at night, it's cold, you've gone above and beyond as always. It may be cold, but my heart is warm from having spent all this time <laughs> chatting to my two favourite Davids, David yes. Rosenthal uh, and David Holloway. Yes, I just wish some of David's talent would rub off. Um, so <laughs> most importantly, thanks to you all out there for listening. Hope you enjoyed these two this two-parter and we'll see you back here next episode. 